Rabbit, rabbit, rabbit. X-ray. Say rabbit, rabbit, rabbit. Before anybody else says anything, just say rabbit, rabbit, rabbit. When I was in second grade, my teacher, Mrs. O'Connell, told me if you said rabbit, rabbit, rabbit at the beginning of the month is the first thing you said that month, you'd have good luck all month. So rabbit, rabbit, rabbit. This might be your very first thing, and you might not have spoken yet. And therefore, if you heard me say rabbit, 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 and you said rabbit, 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 you just might, as Mrs. O'Connell said, have good luck all month. And boy, howdy, could we use it. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Tuesday, September 1st. Today, not only is the first day of September barreling towards the end of summer, it is also a wonderful day to subscribe to The Local and to share with friends. You can find us on all the platforms through Linktree backslash The Local Portland. Today, back in the day, September 1st, 1715, King Louis XIV of France died after a reign of 72 years, the longest of any major European monarch. He was known as the Sun King. Louis XIV centralized monarchical power, reigned over a period of prosperity during which France became the dominant power in Europe and a leader in science and art. On the other hand, if you're not a fan of the monarchy, 72 years of one monarch is arguable. Today, back in the day, September 1st, 1992, JPR, Jefferson Public Radio, no relation, a network of satellite radio stations serving Southern Oregon and Northern California transmitted the first airing of As It Was. Months earlier, the Historical Society of Southern Oregon and Jefferson Public Radio had agreed to the program to raise awareness of the region's history. The two-minute segments were researched and written by volunteer Carol Barrett, The host was Hank Henry, a well-known radio announcer and reporter, former Jackson County Commissioner, and a board member of the Southern Oregon Historical Society. The editor-producer, Bob Davey, aided by John Clark. The show still continues, now produced by Ray Scully, narrated by Shirley Patton, in partnership with writers from the Southern Oregon Historical Society. Maybe someday the local will get a decent host, and 25 years from now, people will look back at the start of the show. X-Ray. And first up, it is time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. The victim and a suspect in Saturday's protest shooting have been identified. The victim was Aaron Danielson, known as Jay Dixon, a member of Patriot Prayer. Patriot Prayer is a local far-right group with a history of violence and racist rhetoric. Its founder, Joey Gibson, is currently facing federal charges for inciting a riot. Back in 2017, Danielson was arrested for bringing a firearm to Patriot Prayer rally at a federal park. But right now, it is unclear whether or not he had a firearm during Saturday's protest. Danielson, also known as Jay Dixon, was also vocally supportive of murderer Jeremy Christian. He stabbed three on a max train in 2017. Portland police have also identified a suspect in the shooting. The suspect is named Michael Rianol. He has attended many protests, self-identifies as an anti-fascist. He was cited for carrying a loaded gun at a protest in early January, but the charges were later dropped. Portland police have made no arrests yet. And it goes without saying, but maybe it shouldn't go without saying... The local community supports peaceful protest and abhors violent protest. Your daily dose of data, 162 new cases of coronavirus reported yesterday. That's the lowest number of new cases in over two months. Cases, hospitalizations, and deaths have been slowly declining for the last three weeks. We do now have a total of 26,713 cases since the pandemic started. One new death that does bring our total number of deaths to 459. Marion County reported the most new cases with 36. 
The deceased man was a 93-year-old resident of Washington County. Washington County had 25 new cases. Based on percentage of population, though, Malheur County has the highest rate of coronavirus cases in the state, 10 times higher than the statewide average. Their infection rate is 10 times higher than the statewide average. Four out of every 10 people tested in Malheur County are coming up positive. That's well below the statewide rate of four out of every 100. Malheur County's infection rate is also much higher than the rate required to open schools. Right now, other child care options are slim. Even before the pandemic, back in 2019, OSU found that only 15% of Malheur County children under the age of five had access to licensed daycare. Social distancing does mean downsized classes, making minimal child care options even smaller. Malheur County was demoted back to phase one two weeks ago. So far, it hasn't mitigated the high infection rate. If you don't know all of the counties of Oregon, Malheur County is in the southeast corner of the state. Vail and Ontario are the main towns there, and they are part of the Boise, Idaho media market. Those towns also are in the mountain time zone, for what it's worth. As for our Washington State friends, there have been 74,320 total coronavirus cases reported. In total, now 1,905 deaths in Washington confirmed. It is wildfire season, and here is what you need to know. The White River Fire burning to the southeast of Mount Hood has grown to over 15,000 acres. It is only 10% contained as of right now. Campaigns and trails nearby have closed. Hundreds of nearby residents have had to evacuate. The blaze was sparked by lightning strike back August 17th. And west of Eugene, a new blaze started on Sunday. That is still uncontained. Eight households have been evacuated. 24 are on standby. The cause of this fire, still unknown. Firefighting is hard and dangerous work. It's helpful to know who is doing that work. Many are there voluntarily. They enjoy compensation and state employment protections. Others are low-security prison inmates paid $9.80 a day for their work. Inmate fire crews have been deployed 25 times already. The Department of Corrections makes clear the program is voluntary and it helps prisoners build skills for after-release. Current Oregon minimum wage, $11.50 an hour. A campaign to decriminalize drugs has lost support from Portland's Urban League. Ballot Measure 110 was controversial to start. It would decriminalize possession of meth and heroin. It would also fund drug treatment programs with the money from cannabis taxes and from fewer arrests for possession. Urban League of Portland was prepared to support the measure, but they pulled their support citing concerns from communities of color. Urban League expressed disappointment that the measure would not invest money into black communities. They say the measure fails to center communities of color. The measure is still supported by many BIPOC groups. That measure will be on the ballot November 3rd. Oregon has joined the nationwide lawsuit fighting the Trump administration changes to NEPA. What's NEPA? The National Environmental Policy Act is a decades-old law that forms the foundation of environmental protection in the United States. Since 1970, NEPA has required federal agencies to evaluate the environmental impact of proposed projects. NEPA also lets citizens and activists have their say on drafts of those environmental impact reports. In July, the Trump administration announced it would reduce or entirely get rid of environmental impact statements for many projects, especially big pipelines. And importantly, the changes to NEPA remove all requirements to take climate change into account when approving a project. Now, Washington State and the state of California are leading a coalition of 27 states in a lawsuit against those changes. The coalition argues that not only are Trump's changes anti-environment, they're also anti-transparency and anti-accountability. The lawsuit says those changes endanger natural resources and public health. 
Oregon has now joined that coalition. This is one of multiple lawsuits challenge the NEPA rollbacks, and if the coalition wins in court, Trump's NEPA changes will be thrown out entirely. And some good news, TriMet has restored more weekly bus service. Yesterday, TriMet started running 20 more bus routes every week. The 12, the 15, the 75, and many more major routes are back. I said routes that time and routes the first time because it's up to you. More buses mean shorter wait times and more space to socially distance once you're on the bus. As of now, TriMet's operation is at about 90% of where it was before the pandemic started. Some key changes remain, though. TriMet will still restrict the number of passengers on on each bus, and don't forget to wear your face mask. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Up next, part two of our COVID-19 reality check from Mike Seelig and the show Voices from Our Community from Partner Station KXRW. Retired doctors Beth Lee and Art Simons live on acreage in Southwest Washington. They've traveled to many parts of the world delivering medical care to disaster areas. Some of the third world countries they've worked in had third world governments run by an authoritarian strongman and his obedient administration. I wanted to learn more about the coronavirus, but given our current political climate, I think you'll understand why I started my questions where I did. What's your impression of a third world country that has a totalitarian um, government? Well, you know, we have done disaster relief in um, several countries and they do have traits. When disasters are especially bad and countries are unable to respond, just as we are beginning to see the U.S. um, fail in their response to COVID. And what you see in these desperate countries is uh, they have several things in common. They have a a big gap between the rich and the poor. So the rich have access to health care and the poor have no health care or terrible health care. The gap is uh, economic and in many cases racial. So the indigenous people of the countries may have a more difficult time getting health care. Generally, there's a strong attempt to suppress uh, the free press. And so the news is always uh, complementary to the government when what you see on the ground is exactly the opposite. Uh, I think those are kind of the main things that you see, um, as well as the type of things you see on the headlines like violent suppression of peaceful protests would be a big part of it. Um, And so those are similar things that we're seeing here uh, that have contributed somewhat to our dealings with COVID, I think. What's worst case for not doing a darn thing about COVID? Where would we be right now? They projected, what, 3.2 million worldwide deaths if absolutely nothing was done in the very beginning. I think even then they underestimated the transmission rate Part of the problem with scientists and medical people with the COVID novel virus is that it's, even though a species that's been around for a while, it's developed a whole new way to infect humans. And that's the novel part of it. And because it's a whole new way to infect us, we don't have a defined defense against it yet. And that's what we're all striving to try to do. So it's basically, as you know, surviving until we can get to that point. And what's the best way to maintain the highest level of survival and decreasing the amount of transmission? Because obviously the more people that have it, the more people are gonna die. So if we can you know, decrease transmission rate, 
Secondarily, you'll stop more people from dying. And that's the huge challenge is to, to make people understand that this is a mindless biological thing. It has no reason. It has no soul. You can't pray to it. You can't wish it away. It's got to run its course. We've already know from scientific proof through the ages that, you know, it can kill us and it will if we don't do something to stop it. And getting the message out like you're doing, Mike, is what us as healthcare providers find so critical to be able to, to, to let people know. Doctors know, nurses know, we see it every day. It's the people that do the things that they're not supposed to do that make people sick, that they come in, that we have to take care of. That's the problem. And, you know, any way we can get that in a better way is obviously something we would support. And you say, what is the worst that could happen if we did nothing? Well, first we can look at if we did a lot, like in Washington state, about one in one in 20 tests is positive. If we did just a time, if we did a terrible job, like in Florida, one in five tests is positive. If you had no testing, like back in the time of the bubonic plague in Europe, for instance, you can have plagues that go on. Some have been documented for as long as 40 years, and you can lose a fifth of the population. So it can go on and on and on. So that's the worst case scenario, is the end of humanity as we know it. <laughs> well, Mike, one of the things that you touched on as far as with uh, Darwin and natural selection and that sort of thing in human nature, is that what we're really dealing with is certainly the perplexing and disheartening part about this whole process is in New York, New Jersey, Italy, Spain, we saw the overwhelmed ERs, people dying by the thousands a day, the morgues being overrun, families heartbroken because they couldn't see loved ones. And now, two months later, it's like a rerun of the same horror show with no lessons learned at all. In fact, it, the sequel is even worse than the first one that came out. So to me, I go, well, why are we allowing something like this to continue to perpetually happen in this horrible way when we have obvious ways that have been shown, like you said, in other places that would control it and make it less horrible. So it strikes to the whole idea of, are we suicidal? Do we really want to just go away and, you know, be infected by coronavirus because it's against, is our right to get infected? Have we devolved to that level? Or is this just a test of us as a country, as a world, as a, species even to say we can move past this but there will be some hard times before we get to that level and i'm hoping that that's ultimately what it's going to be how does it work on the body and and what's the importance of social distancing wearing a mask breaking the chain of infection so, Mike, one of the things that we've known with science and now with advanced techniques is that coronaviruses viruses have been around for millions and millions of years. Their sole purpose is to infect and replicate. That is the only biological directive that they have. So they've evolved over this immense amount of time, specifically with the idea of how can we get better genetically to infect something that will then be 
able to replicate us in a way that we want to be replicated. So now that they've discovered that human beings are a, a wonderful, juicy bag of biological tissue that they can come in and basically impregnate with their virus genomes and replicate. And then if they kill it, that's okay. They go release somewhere else. If they don't kill it, then they suck as much life as they can to get their job done. And then they move on. So I think because we've never in the United States really faced a direct threat, 9-11 was a threat, but it was in New York. It was defying terrorists. We knew the enemy. Uh, we've had various pandemics before. We've even had wars in the world where you're worried about a bomb falling on you. But this is a whole new enemy. And tr President Trump said he was a wartime president. And if you look at it that way, then the analogy could be if it's, if coronavirus is a bunch of bullets and they're being sprayed around, and sometimes there's a few bullets, sometimes there's a lot of bullets, but there's always a bullet somewhere. Let's say someone says, I'll give you some way to keep 95%, up to 95% of those bullets from getting into your body. Wouldn't you say, that's a great idea, give me that thing and I'll wear it every day because that certainly makes it better than bullets hitting me. And the simple idea of wearing a mask is exactly that. It's a flat jacket for your health. And we just haven't conveyed it. It's not a sin. It's not political statement. It's just taking care of your own self. And I think we've made it too scientific. I think you have to get the basics. This is survival. Virus versus human. And we have to all work together because I don't think any of us wants virus to win. Thank you for that. Um, it's a good way to... Um think about it, that the Corona doesn't care if you're Republican or Democrat or liberal or, or, uh, you know, wing nut, crazy, uh, right winger. Um, it, it sees that big juicy bag of biological tissue. That's a great way to put it. Um, we're just a bunch of meat sacks that COVID wants to jump inside and live and make COVID babies. And that's it. And if we're not afraid of that, then what should we be afraid of? You know, it's my thing. So another analogy you brought up was 911. It was localized. It was in New York. We saw it on the news. But one thing that I thought was beautiful about the reaction to 911 is we became united and we were kind to each other. Um, traffic was for like two or three weeks afterwards, people were so forgiving at four-way stops and, um, you know, going around, everybody was more patient. We had the shock of that horrendous event. And I think it gave us perspective. There is a bigger picture here. There's life and death for people. We've been wounded spiritually, physically. There's so much loss by so many people, but there's a demonstration of such nobility in sacrifice and serving others that we were taking all that in and processing it. This time around, we have a very po poisoned public discourse. We have people who have lied about COVID, who have said it's going to magically go away. It's a left-wing conspiracy. And that's why I wanted to, to mention Herman Cain. He, he was on that side that said, oh, it's just a bunch of hooey. It's the, the Democrats are going to want to try to steal the election or whatever the motivation is. Those people are dying. You really have to see it as a battle of virus versus mankind. And when you think of species in general, 
Think about a herd of elk and they hear wolves in the distance. What do they do? They put the baby elk in the middle and they move all together. And if one of them wants to wander off on its own because it's a libertarian and it's not going to be told what to do <laughs> by the head elk, the wolves are going to eat it. So right now the virus is coming along and it's picking off the low hanging fruit, which is the older people and the people with pre-existing conditions. But it's not going to stop there. Um, it will continue to go. So it's almost as if as humans, we are disobeying the basic law of nature, which is to come together as a herd and protect ourselves. And we're wandering off in different directions and letting the wolves get us very much like that. Could you help me understand what the doctors in Florida hospitals are going through right now? Well, part of the problem is we're working our nurses, healthcare providers, doctors, uh, all mid-level people, anyone that's connected to taking care of people with COVID, um, we're working them basically to death. You know, people that used to work three and four days a week are now working seven days a week. Eight-hour shifts have morphed into 10 and 12-hour shifts, sometimes 18-hour shifts if you can't get someone to help. The whole risk, if one person gets it, others have to then isolate because you don't want to pass it on to everybody else. So it's a, just almost like a fusion reactor. I mean, a, fi a fusion reactor that's ready to explode. One thing goes, it affects five, then 10, then 15, 20. And that's just within the healthcare system in the hospitals. So there's always that overwhelming fear that you're going to be the one that A, gets it, B, either spreads it to your coworkers or brings it home to your family, or even worse, gives it to an innocent person and you kill because you were careless or maybe didn't have the right equipment. So imagine working all those hours and then having that guilt and pressure on top of you, eliminating the fact that you're trying to save human lives at the same time. And we just can't expect these people to continue at this pace indefinitely at this rate because a few people think it's not manly to wear a mask or, well, you're violating my rights. Well, what about the rights of the people who are trying to help sick people and do the right thing. You know, after a while, when you kill all those people off, there won't be anyone to take care of other people. And it doesn't matter whether you have a mask or not, there won't be any doctors and nurses left to take care of anybody. So we really have to understand that, you know, there's lots of chain, I mean, links in the chain that could fail, that could totally devastate the way that we provide medical care uh, currently in the United States. And here's our worry, Mike. It's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Uh, with the upcoming fall, more people inside means more transmission and the coexistence of an influenza pandemic and the hurricane season coming up. We believe it's going to be a very dark winter in the entire country. There's no evidence suggesting a vaccine will be ready before the end of the year at the earliest. So really think January, February, March is much more likely, if that. So this is going to be a very difficult time. I think we're, as Dr. Fauci himself acknowledges, we're still in the first part of the wave and we don't know how high this tsunami is gonna go. We're just starting to see the water come in.
there's one thing I've learned from putting the story together is that the COVID pandemic is just one of our generation's greatest tests. We can work together to meet this challenge or fail by falling back on our more primitive instincts. The choice is ours to make. I'd like to thank Drs. Beth Lee and Art Simons for their service to so many people in need and for speaking with me for this interview. For X-Ray FM in Portland and KXRW Radio in Vancouver, I'm Mike Selig, and you've been listening to Voices from Our Community. One day, I hope to hear your voice, too. Thanks to Mike for joining The Local, and thank you for listening to The Local, your own town, in about 30 minutes. Thanks for subscribing and giving 72 stars in your review, or just five. And thank you, democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.